Shalom Aleichem. Welcome to Tune In, the weekly podcast series from the Yiddish Book Center. I'm Aaron Lansky, and my guest today is Arnold Chekow, a lawyer who made a lasting contribution when, in the early 1960s, he set out to create a photographic chronicle of the waning but still vibrant world of Yiddish culture in New York City. Many of his images, such as those of Yankov Gladstein, Kaja Molodovsky, and Yudjuj Schwartz, are now iconic, the way in which we still remember those great Yiddish writers. An exhibition of his work has just opened in the Yiddish Book Center's Breckner Gallery. Arnold, welcome to the Yiddish Book Center podcast. Thank you, Aaron. So what were you actually doing in, what is it, about 1960, when you first yes. set out to start taking yes. pictures? It's, um, it's the very perfect question. It's an interesting thing. You're really saying, how did I get started with yeah, all this? Yeah. I think it started with, I was, I'm a, I'm a reader, and I was reading a book which I think was called The Spirit of the Ghetto by Hutchins Hapgood. And it was um, the east side in New York and perhaps, uh, I guess, the late 1800s to perhaps 1900. That's roughly when the book was printed. And then, of course, I was the child of immigrant parents, and my parents never spoke to me about their lives in the towns in which they came from. My father came from um, Mischnitz uh, when he was 16. He came in steerage on a boat, and my mother came from a town called Kremenchuk, which she said was in Russia, but if you look it up, it appears to be in the Ukraine. Well, I said, you know, I had a question from Vanit Stamir. Yeah. Where do I come from? And so I said, I can't really readily go to Mischnitz. My boss wouldn't allow me to take the time off to do that. And I certainly wouldn't even know where to go to get to Kremenchuk. And I doubt, and doubtless wouldn't find anything of interest there. Why don't I find the Lower East Side where my grandparents lived? And... Um, so I started driving down. We lived in uh, Queens. I started driving down to the Lower East Side and looking for indications of Jewish people, signs, uh, Yiddish letters, right. Yona Schimmel's, a Knish store I would take a picture of. And I was taking pictures of, I guess you would call them still lifes. Huh. And uh, one time I was crossing the street on 2nd Avenue and I saw that the Anderson Theater was showing a, a play called The Poor Millionaire with Leo Fuchs. Oh, he was and a I classic, said, yeah. Yeah, here was a guy, he was famous, and he was sort of the Yiddish Danny Kay. And I said, <laughs> you know, I'm bored, I'm tired, I didn't have lunch, I don't think I could stay out much longer. Let me go in and see the show. So I went in, the show was wonderful, corny, sentimental. Could you understand it? I understood everything because in my, the household in which I grew up, inside the house, yeah. within the confines of the apartment, we spoke Yiddish. The moment we stepped outside the door, we spoke only English. My mother was kosher inside the apartment. Outside, she ate Chinese food, she ate luncheonettes. There seemed to be Something of a, I don't know if the word is dichotomy or incongruity, it appeared to me to be consistent. We never, ever spoke a word of Yiddish outside of our apartment. And my father spoke 
perfect English. As a matter of fact, he was a Yankees fan. And he, I don't know that he ever saw a game, but he claimed to admire <laughs> Joe DiMaggio. So at any rate, I went down, and there I was on 2nd Avenue, and I went into the theater, and uh, I, I saw the play, which was extraordinary. There was a, a, a point where Leo Fuchs asked for a violin, they gave him a violin and he played a gypsy tune and he danced and he sang and he had the people laughing and crying and he controlled everything. It was the most wonderful thing and I was thrilled and excited and I wasn't even thinking of my picture project except when I left the theater as I was crossing the street, there he was. So I went over to him and I figured I'd speak Yiddish and I started speaking Yiddish to him, telling him, how I loved the show. And he said, first young man, let's get out of the gutter. <laughs> and we got onto the sidewalk and he said, what are you doing? I said, well, I came down, I take pictures as a hobby. Really, he said, you'll come, you'll do a photo shoot. And then I'll also set you up in a box. You'll take pictures of the show next week, which I did. And I uh, had one of the photos of him it's not in this exhibit, but it was in the uh, Book Peddler issue uh, in 1993, the Leo Fuchs picture. And then all of a sudden I found that if I would appro approach Yiddish celebrities and just start speaking Yiddish, I was in. How, how old were you at the time? This is also a very sensitive question because I was hopeful that in 1993 you had me interviewed by a wonderful writer. Catherine Hellerstein. She was very, very good, except she referred to me as a middle-aged lawyer. And I swallowed hard. I said, my God, am I already middle-aged? What would she think now? It's 19 years later. Aaron, do I look so different to you? You look like a young guy to me, but all that's, things are relative, right? That's what I thought. Uh, I, I guess I was in my 30s. I was born in 1936. And I really uh, did enjoy the little journeys that I made. I'd like to tell you about one of them. Please. Well, I had read that the Hebrew Actors Union was either one of the first or the first labor union in the United States. I said, I'm going to go down there. And I looked up the address. I went into the Hebrew Actors Union, and lo and behold, the president of the Hebrew Actors Union was Seymour Rexite. Oh, of sure. course, his real name previously was Rechtzite, <laughs> but he changed it to R-E-X-I-T-I-T-E -E to be more Americanized. I opened the door and there he was. And he said to me, uh, how can I help you? And I told him about my little idea of the Jewish pictures. And I said, Mr. Rechtzite, I said, I know you very, very well. My mother listened to WEVD all my life. And I heard your programs and your wonderful singing. In fact, I said, I can sing your theme song. He said, let me hear it. And I proceeded to sing. Let's hear it. Ich will singen, die Schöne gesangen, in Kessel von Schöne Lied. And he turned to a man, he said, Herman, whatever this man wants, give it to him. <laughs> Let him do whatever he wants. Take him wherever he wants to go. <laughs> so I went around. I was taking pictures. I went to the 
building, the forward building, 170 Broadway, I'm trying to remember. And I had heard that they had once had a sign on top of the forward building, which could be seen, it was part of the New York skyline. It's in books of 1900. The building was there for 100 or more years. I said, what happened to the sign? That's just what I came to see, signs of Jewish life from previous years. They said, we think it's on the roof. Really, I said, can we go on the roof? They did take me up on the roof, and like all of my other quests, it I didn't find what I was looking for. There was no sign on the roof. But I did get into the Jewish, the, the Daily Forward's offices. I took a picture of Meyer's sticker, the editor. The next picture I mentioned, I took a picture of the man who was the humorist. Uh, I think his name was Goldstein. I have the photo at home. It's not part of this exhibit. I was only limited to about 15 or 20 pictures, not 100. And uh, I proceeded to take photos of all the folks I could in that room. And I was amazed that there were people who were there for 70 years. And the guy who was the editor had been working there for 70 years. It was a Jewish institution, and I was thrilled to find it. But you captured them at the last minute. That's the amazing part of this, right? Well, you say the last minute. I hope it's not the last minute and that our minutes are continuing and uh, I think they are continuing. Oh, I can assure you there were new generations to go photograph now. Yes. But for that world, the guy who was there for 70 years probably wasn't sticking around <laughs> that much longer. No. They had an editor whose name, his name was Simon Weber, I think, yeah, just sure, came to sure. me. And he had been an editor there for a half a century or more. So I really, um, I found my muse, as they say, you know. One of the things, photography is a very, very easy medium today. First of all, the digital camera and the, or put it on, or set it to automatic and push the button has leveled the playing field. You can give anyone a camera and they're a photographer. Well, there's something missing. What you need is, you need subject matter. You need subject matter that engages you. And then you need a perspective about the subject matter. And here... Although previously, I would go from my house and I took pictures. I took pictures of buildings at night, roots of trees, kids feeding um, uh, pigeons. You know, they were all nice pictures, but I never found my subject matter until I found huh. the Yiddish actors, the poets, the writers. And what was amazing is some of these people were extraordinarily famous um, or at least famous long ago, right? Famous long ago, right? but legendary famous long ago. And did you appreciate that? Did you understand quite how important they were? Or I would been? look them up. I would look them up so that if I could speak to someone, I would have a little inkling of what they had done and where they came from. Joseph Buloff, whose That's photo I have, actor, he sure. was a great, great actor. And you say great actor, he had a chance to appear in the something that was called the American Jewish Theater, and I went to see him in um, uh, The Price by Arthur Miller, and he played Gregory Solomon, the old furniture dealer. To say that he was extraordinary and deserved a, uh, an Academy Award would be an understatement. Huh. He was marvelous, um, as was Menashe Skolnick when I saw him. Actually, in a Yiddish show, it was really? Jakubowski and the Colonel, written by 
an Austrian, I think his name was Franz Verfall, I think. Uh-oh. But it was that, that would be a Jewish uh, Jewish, Austrian. Yeah, yes, Jewish yes, Austrian. <laughs> right. He was, the, he was also the author of uh, The 40 Days of Musa Dog, one of the great novels about the Armenian uh, genocide. Uh, yeah, important writer. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So uh, that's how I really got started. And it, um, it, it continued. I would go to the 92nd Street Y. There would be poets. I would go over to the poet and start speaking Yiddish. And they immediately adopted me. And so when I went around, when I stood up, and I adjusted the blinds at the yeah. 92nd Street Y so they're not creating bad shadows for me, everybody felt I belonged. They did, thought I was a member of the Y. Did people think you would give them some measure of immortality by uh, photographing them? I don't know, but one thing I'll tell you I gave them, I gave them their picture. I've had a rule really? huh. for all my years that if you're kind enough to let me take your photo, you're giving me a gift, and I will return it. So I have always given people a copy of a photo that I, take, that I took of them. What kind of a camera were you using? It's a very good question because my answer to that is, I'll tell you what kind of camera, but I'm going to give a preface to it. My real answer is, if you find your muse and you have an interest in something and you have a little sense of a graphic sense and a perspective about the subject matter, the real truth is... Any camera you use, a plastic one, will create masterpieces. Having said that, I used a camera that was called a rangefinder Nikon. It was a Nikon model S2. It was a very nice camera. I had a series of lenses with it, and I developed and printed my own photos. And I did so since I've been 13 years old. I got my first camera. When I was 13, uh, I read an ad that the first camera was $48 in Willoughby's, and I had $48. So I told my grandmother she should come with me. It was indeed $48. I hadn't counted on the sales tax. It brought it up to $50, and I couldn't make it. My grandmother kicked in the extra $2, for which I was always grateful. And uh, I started that way with that camera. But it isn't the camera because... Uh, I have succumbed to what all amateur photographers succumb to. It's called the upgrade. When Nikon comes out with something that says, you've got the model D3100, the 3200 now has more megapixels. You must have it. Can I tell you? If you could afford it, buy it. If it pleases you, get it. It will not make any difference whatsoever in your pictures. Yeah, I remember Helen Levitt, the great American Jewish oh, sure. photographer, once sure. said she said she took, what did she say, uh, terrible negatives but great photographs. Right? Uh, it was always a little out of focus. It was technically never very good, but the but, photographs were brilliant. Yeah, but yeah. some of her pictures, she had a picture of a girl, I think, walking uh, through the streets, uh, I guess, in Italy, uh, even though she took pictures in, in, in New York yeah. City. And uh, all the men are sort of uh, making gestures at the young lady. And I once saw a very large picture of it, and I thought it was just wonderful. It was also the subject of some controversy as to whether she staged it or not. I didn't stage any of my photos. In fact, it really should say Arnold and Natalie check out photos because my wife helped immeasurably. How did she help? Did she develop the pictures? Did she tell me what to take? No. When I was in the theater and I held up, my camera, where you're not allowed to take pictures. And, of right. course, I never used flash 
ever. That was, I that, think, that was my next question. Okay, so it's all, so all, rude. It's all natural light. Yes, wow. I always thought it's wow. so rude to flash. I wouldn't want anyone to shine flashes at me. But whenever I picked up the camera, as my fingers started to descend on the shutter, my wife would cough. <clears throat> that little cough disguised <laughs> the shutter, and no one ever said to me, you're not allowed to take pictures in this theater, even though they announced it that the at the beginning. So out of all these actors, all these writers that you photographed, was there any one who was the most memorable of all? Well, a couple invited me to their home, so I was more grateful to them. Kadya Maladovsky, as you know, invited me to her home. I had seen her uh, speaking at the Y, and I went up to her afterwards, and she was an old frail lady at the time, and I told her that I really liked her a poem. She had a poem that I thought was very, very insightful. I believe it was called The Flyers. The concept of the poem was that as airplanes fly higher and higher at some point, won't they see God? It made sense to me. <laughs> and maybe it's not a first-rate poem, but it's certainly an interesting concept. Well, it's really a first-rate photograph that you took of her. She's sitting uh, upright in, in a her chair, own chair, smoking a cigarette, the smoke trailing upwards. It's really quite and an extraordinary image. That's, I uh, asked her to please recite a poem. And I said, if you can, of course, my favorite poem is The Flyers. And she proceeded to start reciting. And I will even tell you, I think that she had a little glass of uh, an alcoholic beverage at that lunch which she made for me so that she both smoked and drank and apparently it didn't <laughs> alter her, her uh, longevity <laughs> too badly because she had to be in her 80s when uh, she uh, passed away. I also, I liked one particular actor and uh, in order not to uh, be perfect today, I uh, failed to bring two labels and one of them is uh, Jacob Zanger and... Uh, I said hello to him after a show in some Second Avenue theater, and he invited me to his home in Trump Village in uh, Coney Island. My wife and I went, and he and his wife made lunch for us, and I took that photo of him, huh. and he told me how he was a supporting actor for all these years hmm. and his rules for success. He said it was very important that they pay for rehearsals he said, if you go into the business of acting, don't let them just call you down to keep rehearsing. They must pay for the rehearsals. I got lots of tips from him. Should I ever go into the acting business? <laughs> it's not, not too late yet, right? Well, I don't know if that's the uh, direction. I, I was yeah. thinking perhaps of, you know, if uh, Theodore Bikel ever retired, maybe I could, <laughs> uh, you know, do, play the provinces and sing my Yiddish songs. So your exhibit's just opening here now. We're thrilled to have it. I'm delighted. I'm so, thrilled to be in your presence, Aaron. I have to oh, tell vice you. Versa. So listen, no, because I, you really don't know how much respect I have for you. You did a job that's you don't understand how extraordinary it is. It's beyond belief. And you, if you read about it, it's not enough. If you come here and look around, just the the amount of effort involved in every room. I'm in a recording studio with Three bookcases with books, but they're all arranged. <laughs> Give us a, a very quick description. What's in the exhibit upstairs, and why should people come and see it? Okay. 
The exhibit is interesting because it depicts famous Yiddish personalities at, in perhaps the September of their years, uh, living a life where they're not recognized the way they once may have been, but still continuing in their trade and living within whatever constraints they now had to live, but doing what it is that they do, what they are. So I have a picture of uh, a poet and translator, Yud Yud Schwarz, and he's, um, he's reading a book, Junge Jorn, that he wrote, Young Years. And here he is now, a man in his 80s, perhaps. And I spoke to him, and he said, told me where he lived, and I thought to myself, my goodness, he lives in a one-room, I guess you say flat or apartment in the Bronx, not a particularly good neighborhood. Hmm. And here he's a guy who wrote a poem called, I think, Kentucky. Yeah, book-length poem. Yes, and also, I believe, translated some portion of Shakespeare into Yiddish, which is amazing. And here he is at the 92nd Street Y, being allowed for a half hour to read a couple of poems for a very modest stipend. I once knew what it was. It was very modest. And going home on the train by himself. There was an element of uh, sunset involved in all of this. But your photograph captures a certain nobility as well. I I appreciate that because that's what I saw in many instances. Um, I have the picture, for example, of Seymour Rexite and his wife Miriam Cresson. And, of course, whenever I saw them and I saw Miriam Cresson, she was always, you know, immaculately groomed and beautifully made up and very beautifully dressed. And I once went to a show, and she was in the audience, and she was wearing a sailor suit. And the woman behind me said, look at Miriam Cresson. She looks just like a teenager, (laughs) which she did at age 70 to a degree, if you have the vision to overlook a couple of things, a little wrinkle here or there. I can tell you I knew Seymour Rechtsite towards the very end of his life, and his hair never uh, went gray. (laughs) That is amazing. (laughs) That is amazing. (laughs) So I'm going to end with one last question, all right? Shoot. I've read that you you haven't yet decided where you want to be buried, Noche 120, after Uh, 120 years, but you have already written your epitaph, and it's going to say very simply in Yiddish, he is not searching anymore. So what is it that you've been looking for all your life? And the real question is, at this stage, have you found it? Well, I guess I found it in a transitory way. You know, Ecclesiastes wrote a little 12-page section of the Bible, which uh, suggests that uh, uh, life is vanity, it's futility, it's transitory, I don't think he really believed that. I think he was really saying it, so we should stop for a minute and treasure and value something that isn't necessarily concrete and everlasting. And I think when I was looking for from Vanich Tamech, where do I come from? I'm not so sure that I found exactly that, but I think what I found was a joy and happiness in being with my family. 
I want to say you've left a treasure that's going to endure. The, the photographs are extraordinary, and I just can't encourage people enough to make the trip up to Amherst to see them. It, it is a, uh, it's a chronicle of a world captured at exactly the right moment. And in that sense, you and I have a lot in common. And uh, I really just want to say, Yasha Koyach, I can't thank you enough personally for what you've done. And I thank you, Aaron. Well, you've been listening to Tune In, a podcast from the Yiddish Book Center in Amherst, Massachusetts. You can tune in or sign up for these and other podcasts on our website at www.yiddishbookcenter, all one word, yiddishbookcenter.org. Our producer is Agnieszka Ilvitska. I'm Aaron Lansky. I'm a stark and gesund. Be strong, be healthy, and tune in again soon.